Welcome to the Find Your Awesome Podcast. My name is Kelsey Abbott. I'm a confidence coach and instigator of joy. I believe that we are all so much more powerful than we can possibly understand. My goal with these conversations is to introduce you to brave, vulnerable people who are finding and owning their awesome. My guests are leaning into what makes them unique and sharing that uniqueness with the world. I hope these conversations inspire you to break free from whatever is holding you back and to step into your own greatness. Welcome to the Find Your Awesome Podcast. My guest today is Elizabeth Lyons. She is a best-selling author and coach. Welcome, Elizabeth. Thank you so much for having me, Kelsey. So I feel like this is part two of our conversation because we had this amazing conversation on your podcast, which is called, will you just share that for everyone? So they can- yes, it's called Authors, Creators, and Visionaries. Okay. Super fun. What prompted you to start a podcast? Um, you know, I actually had done a podcast a couple of years ago. It was different. It, well, I've had a couple of different iterations of it. So first it was for moms of twins. And then I, I just, I love talking as you know, I think that's why you and I get along really well. And then maybe about two years ago, I changed it up and I, I created a new one called book publishing made simple. And uh, I really enjoyed it, but the focus was a little bit off. We were talking a lot about book publishing and what I recognized is that I wanted to talk more about not just authors, but creators and visionaries backstories. So many times they are not yet authors, but they want to become an author or even they don't want to become an author, but they have a fascinating backstory and that's what I'm fascinated with. So that's how that came to be. Uh, it makes sense. I mean, we create these things because it's what we want. Yeah, or it's just what, it's what we want, or it's what we have, hopefully it's what you have fun talking about, right? Because otherwise, it, it's so forced, and you're scrambling around, and then the cool thing for me about the authors, creators, and visionaries is I have so much fun with everybody I interview, because they're all my kind of people. Exactly. You know, so, so it's like, I'm This learning. is just an excuse for me to talk to people that I want exactly. to talk to. Exactly. 100%. People yeah. are like, how do you find guests for your show? I'm like... Oh, I find people I want to talk to, and then I ask them. That's it. And then we record it. That's exactly how I do it, too. And it's the same way I use Facebook to find friends. It's, it's if I get a friend request or if I get a recommendation, I check out the person's profile, and it seems like they might be something, somebody who I would want to talk to a little bit more at a massive get-together, then I accept or extend a friend request. If not, I don't. I mean, it's just, Yeah. Which is so logical. I mean, it's social media. Right. Like being at a big party. It is. I, and that's new for me because, you know, this whole max out your 5,000 friends and, and everything, that's somewhat new as well. I, it used to be that we were all on pages or we were in groups or whatever. I, I'm pretty much never on my page because there's just no organic reach, which means that'll change in 48 hours and I'm going to have to flip back because that's what they're all about is just keeping us constantly on our toes. But I thought, 5,000 friends? Are you kidding me? At the time, I had 479. I thought that was just absurd. I knew like eight of them. You know, yeah. what, why? And my coach, what my, my, not my current coach, but my previous coach said, you can't, 
you can't do this. And I said, I, I know it's too much. And he said, no, it's way too little. You, you've got to go out and start making some friends. And I thought, this is weird. But, um, you know, they're all different approaches. You can go out and look at it like, is this person my client? And that just didn't feel right for me. It just never, it just never felt right. I just thought, is this somebody I want to get to know? You know, maybe they're my client. Maybe they aren't. Maybe they're just a really cool person. Maybe their best friend is my client. You, you never know, but genuine connections rarely, if ever, have steered me wrong. I am with you 100% on that. And sometimes I find myself just drawn to someone and I'm yeah. like, I don't know why. And then I find out like a week later, oh, look, Can we I actually have tons this? in common. I found this girl the other day. Now, let me get this right. I'm, no one will see me doing this, but I'm going to pull up um, her, her ha handle if I can, because it's, it's critical what the handle is. Um, I found her. I can't find it right now. It's pole for the soul. So she's a pole dancer or she's a, well, okay, let me take that back. She's not a an exotic pole dancer. She's an athletic pole, but she's, but I thought, I, I want to know everything about this. So I love, I've never like, done Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's something to be said for just putting out there in your intro or your bio, who are you? What do you do? What are you interested in? Not just, I help people make money on Facebook. That, I don't, there's somebody who's looking for that and that's cool. It's just not me. But when you say pull for the soul, like I help people find their inner strength through pull. I'm like, I'm like, I'm going to look this up after we get yeah, off. This, and mm -hmm. I want to know when I can start learning. I'm right there with you. Yeah. Like I'm so into that. It's very challenging. Apparently I've not done it. Yeah. I've never tried it, but okay. it looks awesome. Right. Super strong, so that powerful. and acrobatic yoga. Have you yes. seen that? Yes. Totally. I've done a little bit of that, but I want to do more. I haven't done any. I think it looks amazing. Yes. Mm -hmm. I want to do more. Well, okay. Okay, wait. So I, I feel like we should explain. We started before we hit record. We started out talking about naming nail polishes. So it makes right. sense that we've then gone to pole dancing and acro yoga it, and it will just keep going so yeah, yeah. so mm -hmm. let's talk a little bit about you what have okay. you written like your best-selling author why how how'd that happen i don't i i don't know that i can say either well i know i know i don't know why it's a best-selling i know why i write but um i'm not sure i know how 100 percent. so i started writing back in um well i've been writing my whole life in 2000 and 2000, I got pregnant, went in for the ultrasound, and there were two. Now, a long story comes with that. I was pretty sure there were two and all this kind of thing. But anyway, there were two. And so the minute we left, I was like, Barnes and Noble, let's go. I need everything there is. At the time, there were maybe five books on the shelf with regard to having twins. I bought them all. They were so depressing all of them. It was like, your life is over. You are, you're about to get as big as a house. You're never going to get any smaller than that. Um, ever, you're never going to sleep. Good luck with the shower, like food. I hope you like Cheerios and pretzels and anything that you can eat with one hand. Like it was just, and I thought, okay, some of this is funny, but at the same time, I, I this isn't what 
I had, I had at that time a one-year-old and I had read Vicki Iovine's Girlfriend's Guide to Pregnancy. And that then, that was, you know, that was before like Jenny McCarthy wrote her book. And that was the first real kind of funny, tell it like it is, but funny book about being a mom. And I wanted that for twins, but Vicki Iovine didn't have twins. So she couldn't write that. And I thought that's what there needs to be. So I, I kind of saw that hole in the market and I combined that with my love of writing and I just did it, which is a very short way. That's a very short, long story, a long story short. Um, but I, I did that and I put it out to agents and editors in New York because at the time no one self-published. I mean, that was just, it was like a four letter word, self-publishing. You didn't, no one did that. So I, I queried and I proposed and I did all kinds of things and everybody said no. And they said, your market is just too small, which to me was the most asinine thing I'd ever heard because there are 100,000 parents in the US alone every single year at that time having twins and they're all crazy losing their mind. Like, yeah. come on. So it was, a, it was a huge market in my opinion, but everybody said no and I don't like the word no. So I figured out how to do it myself. And at the time it wasn't a money-making thing. It wasn't a business. I was a full-time mom. It was a way to express my entrepreneurial side, it was a way to express my creative side, it was a way to write, um, it was a way to help other expectant and new parents of twins who also wanted like some actual strategies, but a little lightheartedness too. So it just kind of went from there. Then, another, then there was another book and then another book. And, another, and every time I write a book, I say, this is my last book. And I guess I should stop saying that, but. <laughs> Have they all been on twins? Famous last twins. No, no. So the first two, well, so the first two were on twins. The first one is the first year. The second one is the toddler years. The third one is called You Cannot Be Serious and it's 32 rules that sustain a mostly balanced mom. The intent of that was um, to put forth my rules. It never occurred to me to do it. My girlfriend suggested it. We were in the car one day. Did I tell you this story? No. We were in the car one day and I had all five, five kids. I had all five of them in the back seat. We wait, were, you, you, you ended up with five kids? Yeah. I, I, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Wait, so you had a one-year-old and then you had twins. I had a one-year-old. And then when she had just turned two, I had twins. And then when the twins turned, uh, like almost three, I had one. And then when that, when number four, as he's affectionately referred, cause they all go by number. When he was about three, we adopted our fifth from Ethiopia. So I never saw myself with five kids and that shouldn't surprise anyone. I, it was like two where I'm going to have two. Well, I went from one to three and I was all screwed up. So I didn't know, I mean, what do you, you know, and then I tell people, and this is the truth, but I, I, I'm a little, I looked at the numbers and I thought, well, my God, now we're a family of five. We can't golf together. Like if we go golf, we, Kelsey, we've never golfed <laughs> ever, ever. But I was like, if we go golfing, someone's going to be alone. Like, it's stupid. And so I said, let's have just one more. Let's just have an even number. So we had one more. And then my desire to adopt kicked back in. I'd had that since before I had my first child. Anyway, so the third book was born, pun intended, from um, driving through Starbucks. I had my girlfriend in the front seat. I had five kids in the back. The kids were going nuts. And Heather, my, my friend, looked at me and she said, I don't understand how you're doing this. Um, well, you know, 
And I said, well, I just have these rules and I may lose it. That's one of the rules is I can lose it on occasion. And she said, you really should write a book about this, which made no sense to me. Why would anyone care what my rules are for you know, being an entrepreneur and a mom and all these kids and blah, blah, blah. And the more I thought about it, I thought it's not really so much about my rules. It's about encouraging other women to have their own rules. So, how, so really explore your life and what works for you and then put together your own set of rules and be confident in those. So that's what book three was. Book four is actually the fourth edition of the first book. So it's, it's I got a new title. I had to start all over with promo and launching and notor not notoriety, but getting the world, word out because the first book, which was called Ready or Not, Here We Come, had done really, really well. And then I changed the title to Holy Shit, I'm Having Twins because that is more representative of the, what's going on, you know? Yeah. And I had grown, when I first started writing, I, I was a little nervous to put myself out there. I was a little nervous to put a swear word anywhere for that matter. And, and 10 years in or however many years in, that wasn't the case anymore. So I wrote a more up-to-date, changed all the products and all of that. And then the fifth book, which comes out in three weeks, is called Enough. And it's The Simple Path to Everything You Want, A Field Guide for Perpetually Exhausted Entrepreneurs. I love it. And I can't wait to read that. It's been fun. How long did it, how long does it take you to write a book? Um, well, it depends. I don't, I, I, I'd say that let's say, let's put it this way. This last one enough probably has taken me about a year. You know, I have to be very disciplined about my writing. Um, I used to believe that I was someone who had to wait for inspiration, even with nonfiction. I, and that was just an excuse that, that really was just bullshit. Can I say bullshit? That you can, you can do whatever you want. Okay. That was just crap. That's not even, that's not even a bad word, but that, that was what that was. It was me justifying not taking action. So I had to put myself on a schedule. I had to put my, you know, have the regular discipline to write every single day. Some days it was 10 words. Some days it was, you know, 3000 words, but I'd say it took about a year all told, maybe slightly less. Um, I think three months for me, three months is the shortest amount of time. I know there are, That's fast. There are coaches or programs all over the place saying you can write a book in a weekend. I don't, I don't, personally subscribe to that philosophy. I'm not dissing it. It's happening. It works for some people. I, I just don't, I can't imagine doing that. Was there sleeping and eating and, and bathroom breaks involved in that weekend? I don't even know. Like I, and I think that the other part of it is that the definition of a book is changing. That's so true. can you write a pamphlet in a weekend? Sure. Yeah. yeah. But I, as a, I'm kind of a purist. And so for me, a book is a book is a book. Like if you put anybody's book next to a book that is uh, published by HarperCollins or Penguin or Simon and Schuster, you shouldn't be able to tell the difference without looking at the publishing house specifically. So, you know, it needs to be edited. You need to have a solid cover. You need to know what you're talking about when it comes to interior formatting and paper quality and cover stock and all these things. And that's the philosophy by which I, Operate. And do you know all that stuff now? Did you teach yourself all that stuff about? Yeah. Oh, 
like font choice and oh my gosh yeah and and now it is it is easier although it's also not because it's so overwhelming everybody's chiming in with their opinion of you know use this don't use this just do this don't ever do this and we all sit here like deer in the headlights you know what it boils down to is assess what you're doing why you're doing it and the best approach for that so if you're an entrepreneur and you're trying to get the word out, your approach to the whole thing is different um, from someone who's writing fiction and wants to have a career as a fiction novelist. It's completely different. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about, well, I want to start with your roles a little bit. No, uh -huh. before that, I have a question. Yeah. Were you writing while you were pregnant? Were you no. Okay. I don't think I was because I don't have the, the book really does start with when, so my twins were in the NICU for two and a half weeks and I wasn't writing then. I just started writing shortly enough thereafter that I remembered it well enough to, you know, capture it. But I wasn't writing, I was writing letters to them while I was pregnant, mostly talking about like, how dare you? I can't feel the left side of my stomach. Like I'm numb. Why do you have to, their father is six foot seven and I'm five foot three. So even at 35 weeks, which is when they were delivered, they weighed six pounds, six pounds and five fourteen, which is a quite a good size. I remember the night before I delivered them, I said to my mom, I think I've got 12 pounds of baby in here. And she said, there's no way you're, you're five foot three. There's no way. And I loved every minute of calling her the next morning and saying, I was two ounces shy of having 12 pounds of baby in here. Um, so yeah, I wasn't writing while I was pregnant. Yeah, because you were busy. I didn't know what to write about yet. I really didn't. Awesome. It never occurred to me, you know, to write about um, the pregnancy. Because I was, the books I was reading that I was frustrated with were about, weren't about the pregnancy. They were about the first year and or the first three years or whatever the topics were. And so that was where the idea came from, but I didn't really start putting it into motion until after they were born. Okay. So I wanted to know that. And now I want to hear about your rules. What are some of the rules that kept you sane? So the biggest one, which is the first one, well, I say the biggest one, but it really depends on the day, is self-limiting perspectives are not allowed. So I don't I hate the word can't, I hate the word should. And I, I still use them occasionally without meaning to, but at that point in my life, I had to make a really solid effort to notice when I was using them and to switch them from I can't to I choose not to, or I won't right now, or because it wasn't about can't. You know, anything I wanted to do, I could do, but it was, it was more about I'm not going to do that right now because it's not a good fit with my lifestyle or these 85 children or whatever the case was. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think, I don't remember which number it is, although I do have the book right here somewhere, but it was breakdowns are normal and necessary. That's a rule. Like, it happens. Nobody has it together all the time. Nobody is a perfect parent. There's no such thing as a parenting expert. That used to make me nuts because I would do segments on NBC and CBS here in Phoenix, and they would always have my byline say parenting expert. And it made me crazy. I was like, please change that because there's no such thing, and I don't want to present myself as though that's what I'm 
calling myself for God's sake. Someone's going to see me later in Target and these kids are going to be flailing. And like, you know, I'm going to have to defend this position. So breakdowns are normal and necessary. Um, Wait, hold on. What would you like as your title? Back then? Yeah. Like just trying to get through the day, mom. Like I don't like really, I mean, I, now there is a, a term parenting coach, which I don't even know how I feel about that. I mean, I just, re- I wasn't, I wasn't actively, I just wrote this book, right? I wasn't coaching. I wasn't trying to tell people how to be a mom. I was just trying to say, hey, when you come out of Target with your venti coffee that you've been looking forward to all day and you drop it while you're loading the kids into the car and you start bawling in the parking lot because you've dropped a coffee, you're not the only one that that's happened to. Like, that was my intention in writing the book. It wasn't, it was 2008. So it was 10 years ago. We didn't have workshops and courses. And I did a couple speaking engagements to moms, but my approach was always the same there too. It was like, figure out what your rules are. Don't let anybody else tell you what they should be and go forth. As long as you're not hurting anyone, that, that was my caveat, right? As long as you're not doing anything illegal or physically or emotionally hurting anyone, then do whatever you want. Because I had watched all these moms, including myself for years. I remember when my oldest daughter, Grace, first went off to preschool. So she was three years old and she walked in and she was just a spitfire. And she, I would pay for this later with some of the other kids, but she just was so excited to go to school, just couldn't wait. And I mean, so she just marched into that classroom and I was like, I got three free hours, God bless America, and I was out. Now there were women in the parking lot just bawling their eyes out and there were children bawling their eyes out. And I remember that I, you, I understand that you can't make anybody feel anything, but I did find myself feeling guilty because I thought, is there something wrong with me? Because I'm not upset. Like I'm ha- I, I acknowledge what's going on next to me. I feel this woman's pain and that's valid. I'm not judging it. I'm, I'm observing it. But like, I'm okay. I'm judging the fact that I'm okay. And there were just so many instances of that over, you know, probably my first four or five years of parenting that I had to quickly figure out what works for me and what doesn't work for me, or I'm going to lose my mind. Like, I'm going to lose my fucking mind because everyone is so quick to say, this is what you should be doing. This is what you should be feeding them. This is what you shouldn't be feeding them. This is the preschool you should put them in. You should have them in 3.2 activities per week. They shouldn't go to bed after eight o'clock. They shouldn't get up after nine o'clock. I mean, it's enough to make you literally crazy. Yeah. And I had had just about enough. And so, oh, wow. That's a whole lot of rules. That's a whole lot of shitting. It's a whole lot of shitting. And I'm pretty sure somewhere in the book I said, you know, thou shalt not shit on thyself. Like it's a rule. Like just don't, we never say I should go to Tahiti. You know, we, I mean, that's why I had to start paying attention to my own language because I was saying things like I should really enroll Grace 
in a mommy and me class so that I look like I'm participating in my child's, you know, whatever. It, but it wasn't, it was never in line with, I never took, I didn't take the time to say, is that who I even want to be as a mom? Right, because shoulds are always other people at other people's opinions. A hundred percent. Yeah, anytime you catch yourself saying, I should, or should I, you're looking mm-hmm. outside yourself. The answer's always no. She shouldn't do anything because shoulds are shitty. Yeah, you sh- Yeah. Right? Yeah. So are there other words that you decided that were off limits? Um, the big ones were can't and should. Um, you know, I, I, I talk a little bit in enough about my own limiting beliefs. I mean, there were a lot of limiting beliefs that I had that some of them used, you know, in, included the word can't or included the word should or um, I'm trying to think. Those are, those are the big ones. Those were the big ones for me. Um, yeah, I just had to get really clear about who, who am I, which is, which is rule three, woman know thyself. Like it is so helpful to take at the beginning of the year, at the end of the year, once a quarter, it doesn't matter and make a list of, you know, 25, 20, 30 things that are true about you. You know, I like the color orange. I used to like the color black. I don't anymore. That's, you know what? That's okay. That's all right. It's, it's fine. And it's fine if other people don't like the color orange, but you do. And there's that like sense that comes, do, I love the color orange. Yeah. But there's this sense that comes from taking ownership. It's, it's almost like a power that you give yourself, a healthy kind of a power that comes from taking ownership of who you are at each different stage of your life. And I didn't, I am the poster child for having gotten lost in the parenting. I, I was so busy. With, I, at one point, I had four kids under the age of five. And so I was so busy doing the parenting that I didn't even know if I liked pizza anymore. Yeah. I, you know, it was like, I don't, we just get pizza every Friday night. I don't, I don't even know if I like it. I just, that's just what we do. Which is so interesting because like, what does it take to ask yourself, do I like pizza? It's that checking in with yourself that totally gets missed when people are so wrapped up in something else. Yeah. And I think it's true even like for entrepreneurs. I mean, my kids, my youngest is now 10. So I no longer have the excuse. I mean, it's still crazy, but I no longer have the, not excuse, but I no longer have the lifestyle where I have you know, five little people for whom I'm physically, emotionally responsible all day. Um, however, in the area of entrepreneurship, you know, you're getting, you get bombarded. You should do click funnels. You should write a book. You should hire a coach. You should hire this coach. You should go to a retreat. You should go to a mastermind. You should join three Facebook groups. You should be posting six times a day. You, all of those things are right and all of those things are wrong. It just depends who you are. Uh, you know, you should be on Snapchat. I was like, I, no, I, no, just no, right? No, there are no more social media platforms coming into Liz's world anytime in the near future. Figure out where your market is, figure out where your people are that you enjoy making a connection with and be there. Just start there. 
it's fine. Follow the joy. Oh, yeah. If you follow the joy, then it's all, it all flows. It all flows. That's- when I started my business, I did all the stuff I was supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And then I slowly dismantled all of it. Yeah, me too. It, did it my way. Me too. And it's so it's, you know, here's the thing. And tell me if you found this as well. The stress is going to be there no matter what. I mean, that's just, it's, and I, when I say stress, I don't mean keeping you up all night, shaking, nothing like that. I just mean whether you're running your own business, working for someone else where you don't, there are th- certain things in this world over which we just simply don't have control, period. And knowing who you are and what your values are and what works for you and what doesn't work for you is part and parcel of putting together a life that works for you. Yeah, it's, it's essential. It, it is. It's essential. How do you create a life if you don't know what you're creating, why you're creating, who you're creating it for? And, and why would you want to? We're, we're such followers. And I, I don't say that judgmentally. Like, I've been a follower. You know, I really, ha- it's comfortable. It's comfortable to do what everybody else is doing because if you're doing what everyone else is doing and they get, cri- and you get criticized, well, you're all getting criticized together. So you're not alone. You're not singled out. You're not the one person running east when everyone else is running west. But the thing is, you, you, you get lost in that crowd too. And so if you know and if you can celebrate that you're the only you that there is, so there's a reason for that, own that, everything else starts to fall in line. It's so true. I, as someone who was, I was the one running West while everyone else was running East and every once in a while I get tired, tired of making my own path. So I would try to be like, quote unquote, normal, mm-hmm. try to do what everyone else did. And I would, I don't think I ever lasted a full day. I would last like an hour or two and be miserable. And that was just the like bitch slap I needed to get back on. Like, nope, do it my way. I, I allowed myself to be bitch slapped for years. Like seriously, I actually talk in enough about how when I started off as an entrepreneur, you know, there's this analogy of swimming upstream or downstream. And if you swim downstream, it's easier because you're going with the current, but yet it's more crowded. And if you're going upstream, it's less crowded, but it's harder. I just, I started out swimming upstream, I think, because it was just different. And I was like, I want to just do it differently. And I'm a masochist maybe. So I thought, let's make it hard, whatever. I, I had no plan. I had no flippers. I had no oar. I had no nothing. So there I am just struggling as hard as I could, losing my footing, finding myself just flying back downstream past my original starting point multiple. So then my, my choice then was, all right, just turn around and go downstream. Well, that doesn't work either. Because if you don't know what you're doing and why, and you don't have a solid execution plan, then you're just floating downstream. And you, I mean, it doesn't work. But who says you have to be in the stream? Well, there you go. Around. Yeah, get out of the damn stream <laughs> already, right? Yeah. Go walk around, decide where you want to get in, get in there. 
walk and, around and again. That's, you know, that's part of what fascinates me about entrepreneurship right now, because it's, it's more, um, I don't know if prolific is the right word to use there. It's probably not. It's more common now than it's ever been, mostly because in the last 10 years with people's uh, nine to five jobs becoming less and less secure, people have had to get creative. And so they've actually been able to, um, through, the, through the eyes of, well, I had no other choice. So I had to start this business that I'm passionate about. I and mean, what do you know? It actually does really well. But that's a whole mindset shift situation. Um, it's when you look at the new generation, like people who are kids who are, I call them kids, but who are coming out of college today, entrepreneurship is, is it's a definite option, right? Whereas, there's even like, you can major in entrepreneurship. You can, you can which is odd to me. It's fascinating to me. Well, I'd like to go back and take that. Maybe. Uh, I, I like to, I, I don't know if I, I'd like to know what the hell they're teaching. Yeah. Like because every lesson I have learned, I swear I couldn't have learned from a book. Yeah. I'm with you a hundred percent with a few exceptions, but you know, it's a really um, interesting space in which to operate. And there was a period of time and I think we're kind of coming out of it now, but there was a period of time where it felt like all these new entrepreneurs were just, I'm going to do it differently. Make sure we put the Lee on there. I'm going to do it differently. It's like, it's my way or the highway type of a thing. And it, and it felt, it was reminiscent for me of when I was like, I'm just going to swim upstream because nobody else is doing it. They want to be different just to be different, but they don't, they still don't know what their, what their, you know, their why and their how is. And so the same conundrum is created where, they find themselves six to 12 months later, like, why nothing's working. Right. Cause different is, isn't necessarily, that doesn't mean that you're following your heart. It doesn't mean you're doing right. what like you are here to do. It just means you're doing it different. Right. Lee. Lee. Yes. Adverbs, adverbs matter. Adverbs matter. Right. <laughs> um, that could be titled right there. But- <laughs> That, it's true. And I mean, it's just, and, and you know, all, it all comes down to self-awareness, which takes all of us. I know people who are 15 years younger than I am, who are more self-aware than I am. I know people who are 50 years older than I am, who are less self-aware. You know, it's not about how long you've been here. It's about that. And that is one thing I will say for the quote unquote younger generation is I think that they are collectively, I don't know if it's because they're being put in certain circumstances, but they're more self-aware than I wasn't. I can't even fathom, you know, some of the people who are in my entrepreneurial circle are a good 13, 14 years younger than I am. And they've got the self-awareness that I didn't have until two, three years ago. Yeah, we all get it. At our own speed. Depends how interested we are in ourselves, I think. Yeah, for sure. I mean, when do you decide to stop looking out and pointing the finger at everyone and everything else and saying, wow, the only common denominator here is me. Right. Yeah. Right. So what's going on here? What am I doing? Yep. It's interesting. So what do you hope 
Moving on to enough. What do you hope people are going to take away from that book? So what I want, my goal with enough is it, it's kind of like when I used to see the woman who dropped her coffee by her car, putting her kids in. It's the same exact dynamic, but now we've moved into an entrepreneurial space. So as entrepreneurs, the ones I know of anyway, we're all running around like crazy people. It doesn't matter if you've been an entrepreneur for five minutes or for 25 years. I mean, Gary Vee is still trying to figure things out. Marie Forleo is still trying to figure things out. There are so many misconceptions and things about which I have had enough as a human being, like as an entrepreneur, as a mom, and as a human being, I have had enough of a concept or I have had enough of a saying. And so that the chapters are all based on that things about which I've had enough or I've gotten tired of the saying. And it's really about to play on words is which you've probably already identified, but it's really about figuring out what you've had enough of so that you can get to your own personal sense of having and being enough. Which by the way, the, the thing is you already are both. It's not something out there. Like regardless, I mean, if, if no one even buys the book, here's the message. Regardless of where you are right now and what you have, you have and are enough right where you are. You, you grow from there. But then the book goes into a lot of implementable strategies that have worked for me over the past, I don't know, five or six years maybe, specifically the past year. And I was very honest in the introduction of the book to say that lots of times books are written in hindsight, mm -hmm. right? You get through something and you go, oh, wow, I survived that. I made it through and I want to tell other people how I made it through. And that's completely valid. That was my original intention, but I had some things blow up in my life while I was writing the book. And I had some moments where I thought, I have to stop writing this because I haven't figured out how to handle this yet. And I can't credibly tell other people how to handle it if I haven't figured out how to handle it. Well, part of it is that it's not about the actual tactic that you take to handle it. It's about the attitude that you have. It's about the faith that you have. It's about the routine that you have and, and your lifestyle and what you're choosing to say to yourself through it. That's the key. So I actually wrote the book while I was going through and I didn't fill the book with, you know, stories of my own personal hardship. That wasn't the point. Um, but it's, but, but I didn't stop either because the stories don't stop. What's your favorite part of the book Ooh. or the, or the process? I'll tell you. Okay. My favorite part is actually step four, which very few people are talking about. Would you like an exclusive? I would please. <laughs> So I, I started the book talking about the what, the why, and the how. That, I actually started with three sections, what, why, how. And it was very regimented. And it was like, you've got to figure out your what, and you've got to figure out your why. And, you've got, okay. and that, I mean, that's cool. But then in the midst of all this crazy that started going on in my own world, I recognized that there's a piece, there's a fourth component that isn't being talked about that much and it's the surrender of the how 
Yes. Okay. So there are people, and I was one of them for many years, many years ago, who sat on my couch in a lotus position, oming it out and hoping that if I only visualize it, it will appear. That doesn't work. So here's what it is. This is the magic secret. It's you figure out what you want. You figure out why you want it. You figure out how you think you're going to get it. You come up with a clear, intentional, executable strategy. You enact that strategy and then you surrender. Because how the reality comes into your life maybe but likely will not be exactly the way you anticipate and i have seen and i tell several stories in the book about this happening to me and other people i have seen this so many times that it's undeniable to me i'm with you a hundred percent i people have a funny relationship with the word surrender surrender doesn't mean yeah. like it's not a dog being right. like rolling over it means letting go being, it's not submission right right it's being open to possibilities like all right it's out of my hands it's letting go of the attachment to the result that you have a conviction be convicted in your what be convicted in your why be convicted in your how but let go of the way that's going to show up because if you don't you will miss it yes 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 it will mm -hmm. ring your doorbell and you will open the front door after you look through the peephole of course and you will say i'm sorry this isn't what i envisioned go away exactly. and it's like universe then goes well i you know tried she doesn't want me um that reminds me I shared this on my Insta story last week. I ask before I do a group ride on Sunday, I always just ask Archangel Michael to protect us. Mm -hmm. And last week we're riding and this big group of cyclists comes up, rides right in front of us. We join them. They're the first responders team. So yeah, I feel protected. <laughs> we are surrounded by a whole bunch of first responders for 30 miles. Yeah. See, it, it's, and when you're, when you know, like, Oh, that, that was for me. Thank you. Once you start connecting all of it, that's where the magic is because on its own, nothing makes sense on its own. It's kind of like, did you ever see, um, the remake of, Oh, uh, 34th street. What's the Christmas movie? Miracle on yeah. And, you know, they're saying we can't believe and she walks up and she gives the judge the dollar bill and it says in God we trust and she circles in God we trust. It's like no one's ever really technically seen God, right? But we all, or not we all, but many people. Yeah. Believe. The same, it's the same thing. It's, it's like we don't like, I definitely don't like what I can't see. I want to be able to see it. I want to be able to feel it. I want to be able to prove it. I want to be able to control it, all of it. And it was very, very hard for me to let that go and just, and find a balance between execution and allowance. That's, that's what it is. I mean, your, your external world, whether it's how you're living or your bank account, it's a reflection 
of where you are or where you've been in terms of the energy that you're sending out there. And I know, believe me, I hear myself saying that. And a couple of years ago, I would have been like, oh God, here we go again with this like wackadoo secret stuff. Mm -hmm. But I, you know, you can only experience it so many times before you think, I, I think there might be something to this. Yep. Yeah, I'm with you completely. It's wacky. It's totally woo-woo. Totally wacky. And legit. <laughs> it is. It's, it's, yeah. And as you said, you can't just, it's not about just oming it out. It's not about oh, just, God, no. you can't just let go. You, you do, you get clear on what you want. You get super clear on your why. Mm. And then you let go. And you know, one of the things I talk about in the book is this concept of assuming. So assumption is a, um, I'm going to talk so I'm gonna, at this point, no one needs to buy the book. Assumption is something that we do and it's a negative thing, right? You assume things about other people, which is rarely a good idea. What, what would be much more effective is assuming when it comes to ourselves. So this was a huge shift for me is learning how to assume that I was already the person that I was, uh, you know, striving to become and living that way. Now there's a big difference between assuming it and living it and being an idiot in, a, in the sense that if you act as if, and this is, this is an example I give in the book, there's act as if, and there's believe as if, if you act as if you have a million dollars in the bank account and you don't, then perhaps you get all dressed up and you look nice and you go out to dinner and you enjoy yourself because as a person with a million dollars in the bank, that's how you believe that you will carry yourself. If you believe as if you have a million dollars in the bank, you like hire a limo and you go buy Jimmy Choo's and you buy some diamonds and you know you rack up $7,000 in debt that you can't pay for, that's different. That's not what I'm recommending. But not just visualizing where you want to go, but feeling what that feels like. What does it feel like to log into your bank account and see a certain dollar amount and be able to write a check to your favorite charity? What does it feel like to um, go and purchase? I, I, you just, it just goes on and on and on, but you have to really get into that sense where you feel it. And that is so weird, if we can be honest. What makes it weird? Well, I think it's just, it's just not something that it, it's, it's weird in the sense that um, we don't like what we can't see. So you feel like you're just daydreaming, but again, you're not, you're not living as if you're just acting as if like you're assuming that role. Now, you know, me with millions of dollars in the bank account, I still go out to dinner in yoga pants and my hair in a ponytail. I, I'm still not buying, you know. So when I envision that, that's me. I'm, but different people, and nothing's wrong. And so, and I know you work with this with your clients. People get into this state where they think, but I don't, I don't want to focus on the money because it's bad. If yeah. I'm focused on wanting to have a lot of money, it's bad. And I'm, if I'm focused on wanting to wear, you know, La Bouton, I don't even know how you say it, or Jimmy Choo's, like, it's bad. And that's your area, not mine, because what? Yeah. But yeah. I rely on people like you to get me past that crap 
because there's nothing bad if you have a lot of money in your bank account you know you can also write a very generous check to an organization that is extremely deserving of it and will do extremely good things with it right. and we forget that and you can deliver that check wearing your fancy shoes of whatever brand you choose whether you can pronounce it or not yeah exactly but if you buy the fancy shoes, maybe try and figure out how to. I mean, probably. I was wondering recently, maybe you know the answer to this. So the Labutans or whatever, they're, no, they're known for having the red sole, right? Oh, or I don't even know. I know oh, that there's a shoe that has a red sole, but I don't know which one it is. I'm pretty sure it's the Labutan, whatever. However, We're going to get in trouble now. People yeah. are going to be like, oh my God, and everyone know. knows. It's not necessarily a promo for that. But here's the thing I'm wondering, if you walk in those shoes on the asphalt, like on the concrete, whenever I say asphalt, my kids are like, mom, but back in the East, we did, do you guys call it asphalt? I've always called it asphalt. My husband yeah. is Canadian. He calls it asphalt. I've heard asphalt. And I'm I like, always thought it was just like, oh, your parents didn't want you saying ass. I thought that too. <laughs> I'm like, A-S-S. PH. It, there's no, I don't understand, but we'll give them a pass. But I thought when you walk on that kind of foundation, do you rub off the red? Because I feel like that would be a no-no. Yeah. Maybe they're not for wearing. That's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking maybe they're just for indoor carpet, yeah. red carpet type events only. I don't know. We should probably find out if we ever acquire a pair. Because, I mean, if we did it wrong, you know, that could just... <laughs> <laughs> They'd probably just take them away from us. Right. <laughs> You're not good enough to wear these people. Okay. We're just you trying to wear them. And, and you're doing it wrong. And you're doing it wrong. Yeah. I, wrong is a word I, I really don't care for either. What does wrong mean to you? Huh. I just said I don't care for it. Now I have to think about that. Um. It, it's just negative, like wrong. If you're wrong, someone else is right. And if you're right, someone else is wrong. And I think that's what bothers me because I think that you, I, you can have, and this took me so long, I can't even tell you, you can have an opinion that is right for you or an opinion that is wrong for you. That's called being self-aware and self-conscious in a good way. But to tell somebody else that, I mean, again, there's a fine line, right? Because if someone's hurting someone, I think that we can collectively as a society say that is wrong, yeah. right? So I get that there are all these weird kind of loopholes there, but just generally the way that we use it, you know, it's, it's wrong to hold your fork this way and it's wrong not to put your napkin in your lap. And it's the only right way to do this is this, that, or the other thing. And it's, it's wrong to be on your phone after 9 p.m. We hear that word all the time. Yeah. And it's just, it's always just people's opinion, which is based upon their experience, which is based upon someone else's experience. This concept of epigenetics. Mm -hmm. are, are you hearing a lot about that? I'm not right now. What are you hearing about it? Oh my gosh, yeah. I'm hearing it a lot. Like this idea that our energy is passed down you know, generation to generation to, gener to generation. And, and when people go through the, the process of clearing that negative energy, however that goes down, it actually clears it, you know, all the way like up the chain. Oh, cool. Okay. It's interesting, but it's again, it's way out there. Yeah. Um, but there is a theory that's been 
proposed and, and even supported in many cases that individuals with anxiety, it's not, it's not their, they were born with it because they inherited it from a parent who inherited it from a, you know, Yep. So I, I just find all of that. It's like, oh, geez, now I've got we've got to figure that out, you know. So you don't have to figure it out if it's supposed to be resolved in you. It, that you'll get that direction. But back to the word wrong. I think yeah. it's just a way of hiding a should. Oh, that's interesting. Well, yeah, you're you're absolutely right because it would one would naturally follow the other, right? That's wrong. You should. Right. You should put your napkin on your lap. Mm -hmm. Because it's wrong not to. Yeah. Right. Or you could say... Like, it's, just, it's about like... It, it. I like boundaries. I like structure. I don't... I've never liked them in certain areas. Like creativity and the way that people express themselves. And I understand that there are rules. And if you're having dinner with the queen you probably should put your napkin in your lap. Although I don't know if that's true, but you know, you know, like there are certain things. However, um, I just think it almost doesn't give people an opportunity to really think through how they feel about something because they're just taught from such a young age. This is right. This is wrong. So they just grow up thinking, and we see this, by the way, we see this with racism. We see this with sexism. We see this because when people who are raised in those environments get to be much older, not much older, but older, in many cases, they start exploring for one reason or another, well, how do I feel about this? And they recognize that their opinion is wildly different from the one with which they were raised. And then other times they don't. Yeah, I, I didn't think that's where you were going. I thought you were gonna to go towards they don't end up exploring the opinion. I think it's more common, you know, the analogy that I always use, boy, have we, you're like, we're going for a wild ride. We really have. Mm -hmm. The analogy I use is my kid's school at drop off. Now everyone's gonna get this, right? There are certain things you don't do and it's for the safety of everyone involved. But there's a select group of parents, we'll say 10 of them, who are, they're the exception, right? They don't have to follow the rules. So they're the ones doing it. So of course, the school sends out the emails that say, please, please, please. And I say, I don't know why you're even bothering because those 10 parents don't even open their email. And they're teaching their children that rules don't matter. So those kids grow up and they'll be the exact same parents in all likelihood maybe one or two of them is horribly embarrassed by what their parent is doing and they're making a vow you know every tuesday morning in that drop off when i become a parent i will never do this who knows but i think that's just human conditioning that's why they call it conditioning because the same reason we buy the same brand of whatever that our mom bought yeah like, same brand of mayonnaise oh god is that not the truth <laughs> For real. It's just what we know is comfortable. Yep. And, and what else is comfortable? Feeling like we're right. Nobody wants to be judged. No one wants to be criticized. Everyone wants to be valued. Everyone wants to be accepted. And the best way to do that is to fit in. Yeah. Even if you're not, even if you're fitting into something that's not, um, you know, in line with your spirit. Right. And yet, and then we fi figure it out eventually 
that the only place we ever truly fit in is with ourselves. Yeah. Weren't we, t- we were talking about we that. Were, I think, yeah. Yeah. With Maya Angelou. And then you said that you went and yes. saw her and she was amazing. Yeah. It's like, that's the only place that you have to really belong. But so many of us don't belong to ourselves at all. We belong to everybody else's opinions and criticisms. And, and then we assume what they think and we're wrong. And, we create these stories based off of it and we make actions based on it's a disaster. <laughs> yeah. You can work yourself into such a tizzy sitting in a chair all by yourself. Yeah. Like, let me tell you what I love to do on a Friday night. Okay. What are you going to do tonight? Is today Friday? Today, yeah, I had to check. Yeah. Today is Friday. What are you going to do tonight? I'm going to edit a podcast. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to ride my bike. And then okay. I'm going to edit a podcast. Nothing exciting. I don't think mine's all that exciting either, but I'm going to be here by myself. I probably, well, this will air later. So anyone who wants to come murder me, right. I'm not yeah. listening to this. I have many like CIA operatives here and things like that, but um, I'm going to go to Target. I'm going to eat, get whatever I want for dinner. I'm going to park myself in front of the TV and I'm going to finish editing myself. I love that. Yeah. I'm kind of excited. Does that make me a loser? I don't know. I, I totally get your excitement. <laughs> Maybe we're both losers. It is a possibility. I don't care anymore. Well, but I don't care. I'm good with it. Yeah. yeah. I like, like I say, it's, it's kind of boring to be editing a podcast. I'm actually super excited for it. See, that's the thing. Yeah. Is that collectively or societally or whatever the case is, you know, it's like we're working on a Friday night, but I don't look at it that way. I mean, I have, you know, I have client manuscripts that I'm loving getting their story told. That is just, I put on some John Williams soundtracks and I envision their book and it's like Braveheart, you know, and it's just, it's, yes. just, it's fun. I'm sorry. How did we get to this? I don't know how I we even know. took this turn. <laughs> but I'm with you a hundred percent. But I love the, like the course that this podcast has gone and like, we've been just like, it's like a hit right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what's going on, but it's fine. It's fine. I, I feel like, I feel like everyone's still with us. We can, it's a podcast and they can't see us and right. Right. They so can't we see can just assume. Time. Yeah. You guys are all with us, right? Yeah. You're still here. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Good times. All right. Let's, um, let's come into landing, I guess. Okay. Are you going to ask me questions? I'm going to ask you some really easy questions. Where can people learn more about you? Oh, that's good. That's easy. Okay. <laughs> uh, the best place is my website, which is elizabethlyons.com. Lions with a Y. Same as the animal, plural, but with a Y. And we already said the name of your podcast, but mm-hmm. that's on there. And they can learn how to work with you mm-hmm. and all of that. And your book is coming out when? October 22nd. And how can people buy that? Amazon is probably the easiest for everybody, but I'll have links up on my website to different places. If there are different, different places that people are, are looking, it'll be as a print and an ebook. And then the audio is coming shortly thereafter. Are you recording the audio? Um, Amazing. Do you have audio for all of your books? I've done it. I did it for you cannot be serious. I didn't do it for the twins books. I don't know if I will. Um, it's an undertaking. Mm-hmm. Anyone who's ever recorded an audiobook, well, people often ask, 
why is a print book, you know, $12, but an audio book is 24. Once you've made one, you understand. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Undertaking. How long is it taking you? Um, I would say that you cannot be serious. Probably took me uh, close to a month. I mean, you know, you, you have to record every single chapter. It has to be in a studio environment. It all, it's all the editing has to come together. So you can't, uh, you're speaking it. So if you lose your voice for a couple days, you're, you're out. Um, if you crack in the middle of a line, you know, you don't have to start all over again, but it's, it's, it's interesting. I love to talk as you, we've talked about several times. You can only talk for so long before your voice quality really does, you know, when people are only listening to you, that's the only sense that they have with which to absorb your message. If you're, if they're watching you, they can, they can see body language and, and things like that. But if they're just listening, that's all they have. And so they become very aware very quickly if the quality of your voice is starting to go. So I can really only record about an hour at a time. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay, I decided I have one last question for you. Okay. It's not as easy, but I don't like to prejudge things. So we're just gonna go with it. What's the okay. scariest thing you've ever done? Oh, God. Um, honestly, get divorced. Yeah. Um, so my ex-husband and I are, we have extremely, odd, fantastically odd situation. We're very good friends. Um, we parent amazingly together. We just don't do life together. Great. It's, it's, um, and, and, and collectively making that decision was, it was the most terrifying thing I've ever done without doubt, because you, you can't do something like that. Well, I guess you can, do it. in my world, in my world, you, you really can't. There are a few instances where can't is acceptable. Um, you can't tell your children that you are going to not be married anymore, wait for their reaction, and if they're not okay with it, you go, never mind, <laughs> like we won't do that. So for someone who is absolutely terrified of the unknown, terrified of disappointing people, it was, it was awful. Um, I also was very committed, you know, my ex-husband works very hard and he always has. And I want him to, uh, I hadn't worked, you know, formally in 15 years. I had left Big Five Consulting when my daughter was born. I hadn't done any of that in so long. So I, I needed to get back out into the workforce and that was hard on so many levels that I didn't even know it was going to be hard. Um, and I ended up just kind of doing my own thing because that's how my mind works. But th there were a couple other stints here and there, but that was definitely, man, that was really, that was really scary. Yeah, those are jump both feet in. It, and, you know, I, I mean, I grew wings like five feet from the ground. And I give a lot of credit to David, my ex-husband, because, I mean, we really did work together. There was just, there was no animosity. It, we really, that was when Gwyneth Paltrow said the whole consciously uncoupled thing. I think that's when she and Chris Martin. And so as a kind of as a joke, but not really, that's what we were saying too. I, I don't like the word divorce because it insinuates that someone, here we go, did something wrong. Mm -hmm. And if you can imagine, and you can, 
my neighborhood, I mean, it was like one of us had definitely cheated. One of us was on drugs. One of us had 17 wives or husbands, all these things, none of which were even remotely close. It was like, we, and interestingly, afterward, I have had no fewer than honestly 20 people approach me and say, my husband and I have been considering this. How did you do this? Like we're in the same Maybe boat. that's another book. Well, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Like I would love, I think that when people are, when two people are committed to an amicable divorce and we still disagree on occasion, especially about, but we wouldn't even if we were still married about parenting. Right. But when two people are, are committed to that, that's what happens. When in most cases, one of the two people is angry, bitter, resentful, hurt, jealous, confused, concerned, sad, all of it, and can't bring themselves to. So that's why I, I give him a lot of credit. And I give myself, you know, we, we had great intent. We knew what our intention was. I mean, he even stayed in the house with us for five or six months before moving out because we wanted to show the kids that we're going to get along. Like, you, you don't see us kiss anyway. That hasn't right. happened in forever, right. okay? So nothing's going to be that different except that we're going to have two houses that are three blocks apart. So how cool is that, kids? You get two houses. But here's the craziest part. They don't necessarily see it that way. And, here, and here's the thing that's, that's, that's interesting and that becomes important about self-awareness and confidence and mindset and all of this is that for my kids, this is probably the worst thing that's ever happened. They don't know what it's like to be the children of a divorced couple who hates each other. They don't know what all the yelling and the bickering and the passive aggressive crap, they don't know that. And I want to say, God, you guys are so blessed and lucky you don't have that. But they don't know that. All they know is that twice a week, they have to take their shit back and forth three blocks. And you could say, well, gosh, one of us could have moved into Central Phoenix and then, this is what they know. So while I know it could be far worse, and while David knows it could be far worse, they're kind of like, we don't get it, guys. You get along great. What's the problem here? And we know that one day when they understand what it takes to be a, a, a loving partnership for them, as opposed to just really great friends, they'll get, they'll understand better, perhaps. But it's been a been a journey that's what it is isn't it the journey yeah um again I thought I thought you might say they were gonna pull a parent trap on you I, I was I'm honestly surprised that somebody hasn't but the funniest part is that they have all been trying to get specifically my ex-husband and not but not they all but my three oldest on like you know, match.com or harmony, oh. harmony. I mean, my oldest is like, dad, can I just set up a profile for you? <laughs> so I think this gets weirder by the second. Okay. She's 19. So it's not as though she's, you know, nine, but right. this just keeps getting weirder, but okay. All right. It's fine. It's an adventure. An adventure. It's, it's our adventure. Yes. It's not going to look like anybody else's. So, and, and if nothing cool else, Kenneth Paltrow and Chris Martin are doing the exact same thing. So, <laughs> and, and, and now I believe Ben Affleck and Jennifer Garner are too. So see, 
Ah, it's where the, the trend start, maybe yeah. with you. <laughs> well, it started with Gwyneth, because she did come up with conscious uncoupling. That's just the word. Mm. Mm. True, true. All right, lady, this has been amazing. So fun. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you to everyone who's listened to, to this wild ride. Oh my it's God. been a blast. Hope, we, hope you stayed with us. <laughs> We have our own show. I mean, yeah, where we name nail polishes. Yeah, among other things. Oh, your delight. As are you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You are so, so, so welcome. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to continue the conversation, please head over to Facebook and join the group Find Your Awesome with Kelsey Abbott. It's free. And if you want more than that, go to my website, kelseyabbott.com, and there you can sign up for my newsletter and get a series of free guided meditations. And I would really appreciate it if you could head over to the podcast app and leave a review of the Find Your Awesome podcast. Your reviews help other people learn about this podcast. Thank you so much. That's all I've got for you, friends. Go forth and be awesome.